0: Hi, everyone. I'm Debbie. And I'm Laura, and we host the podcast called I Got the Hell Out. Are you fascinated by cults? Of course you are. Well, I spent 10 years in one, and each week I spill all the juicy details. Some are funny, and some are downright frightening. And
1: trust me, you want to hear these stories. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Overcast.
0: So give us a listen right here on I Got the Hell Out. We'll see you there. This is, perhaps it's you, an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast brought to you by Liz and... Samantha. That's what you're listening to right now. Yeah. This is a podcast you downloaded by mistake, and we're...
1: now you're stuck
0: with it. Now you're stuck with it because you don't have Wi-Fi on your plane, so hello. (laughs) We're glad you're here. We're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 17 of Unsolved Mysteries, if you're following along on... Amazon Prime. Yes. Did you have any updates for us, Samantha?
1: I don't think so. Right before, right before we started recording this, I thought that I had an update. But then I thought, I can't remember what it is. So maybe I didn't. <laughs> maybe I dreamt that. I don't know. It's been a busy oh. couple of weeks for me. So my yeah, brain's a little it, jumbled. It doesn't matter. So here we are recording episode 17. Do you have any updates?
0: I have two short updates. Let's hear them. Though we're recording this out of order. So they'll be late. But whatever. First. I want to give a shout out to listener George, who sent us a picture of him in Los Angeles on vacation, not visiting the Museum of Death, (laughs) which is hilarious. Yes. Thanks for taking my advice, George. I appreciate it. We appreciate the photographic proof (laughs) as well. He was like, here's me outside, not going in. Hilarious. And then he did go to Hollywood Forever Cemetery and told me some other cemeteries there I should go to. So I love that. Yeah, it's lovely. Thank you. Second update. Is that I was on an episode of the Thrift Therapy Podcast, which you can now listen to. It is an episode called Unsolved and Solved Mysteries. It includes some thrift store related mystery information and then an interview with me for some reason so and some swears although if you're listening to this episode you (laughs) probably don't care i did notice that it's the first episode of thrift therapy marketing explicit on itunes (laughs) whoops (laughs) sorry about that uh yeah so if you haven't haven't heard enough of my voice somehow that's out there and i just talk about you know a little bit more about me and my love of thrift stores and i don't know sounds lovely yeah it's Uh, it's a cute podcast people should check it out
1: you can also listen if you need even more of our voices our patreon episode (gasps) for july should be out right now we did Kitchen Nightmares, Amy's Baking Company, which you already know because we've been talking about it non-stop since we got the <laughs> idea. it was really fun. It was really fun. We really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you are not already a subscriber to our Patreon, you get a bonus episode every month and as well as some additional goodies. And yeah, any dollar amount will get you that, which I think is a great deal. Speaking of thrifts.
0: Yes, true. Are so, we a little bit thrifty on this podcast? Hell yeah. Do we give you ways to... Stretch your dollar, exploit your local library slash cheap out. Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> Hell yeah! So check that out if you need more of our lovely voices, which I know you do. Yeah, I I always thought I hated my voice, and now this podcast I've come to terms with it. It's a thank podcast. Thank you, podcast. Thank thank you. you podcasting.
1: <laughs> is that
0: is that it? Is that all we yeah, have? Yeah, that's kind of all I have for updates. Maybe I should have been like researching mysteries or something, but. I know it's summer and it's beautiful out, but I'm in a zone where I just want to sit in my house and binge watch Dexter. And if I'm not doing that, I'm like, this is a waste of my time.
1: It might be summer, but it's like the dog days of summer. It's been really hot. Today has been one of our first like
0: coolish it, days, so, enjoyable, not yeah. totally humid days. No one really wants to be outside. I've when been it's like muggy. sitting inside while feeling extremely guilty. As I feel slumber, summer just slip through my fingers and go, Winter is gonna come and it's gonna be six months long. And and me stuck inside. It's like, well, I started watching Dexter now. <laughs> and that kinda is how we feel as
1: Minnesotans. It's like the long night is approaching. It's like Game of Thrones, constantly like winter is coming and we have to make the most
0: winter's done, which was really late this year. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. like we went straight from winter to summer, and now it's like, the clock's ticking. I know. And I'm not out enjoying every second of it, frolicking in a field. Although it makes I you feel failed.
1: any better, our local weatherman Sven on guard. Anyway, he said that they're predicting El Nino this year. Oh, okay. Which I think means that we're going to have a mild oh. winter, if it's true. So, it, we may get a break from the horrible...
0: I, I will say, personally, a Minnesota winter is... Much preferable over a Chicago winter because it's sunnier. Okay, okay. Um, so it's, it feels less like doom and gloom. Sure. You still get some like vitamin D or I don't know, whatever. I feel less like I wish I was dead. But but we had such bad snowstorms last winter that it was just getting like hard to get anywhere. Yeah, it was so pretty I bad. was starting to feel like, well, if I ever want to do anything again, like... If I ever wanted, like, go to the movies or whatever. But maybe now I just, I'm a total, even more of a homebody. I mean, maybe. The thing about... Netflix is my only friend. I can't speak for transplants, but
1: if you've lived here your whole life or any length of time, I feel like you get to the point where you expect the winter to be bad. And you kind of deal with it. You adjust your life accordingly. But when winter is supposed to be over, you're, like, ready for it to be done and you need it to be done. The last couple of years, we've had these, like, endless winters where it's, like month after month where you're like, okay, it's gotta be spring any second. Now we get one more snowstorm. And then you're like, okay, that has to be the last one. It's gonna be spring. And then you get one more snowstorm. It's terrible. That's the worst part. Like, the winter yeah. itself is fine. You deal with it. You know this is what you live in Minnesota. What can you expect? But then you're like, okay, you know spring is gonna come. And then right. you're ready for and spring. And then you get a blizzard
0: it, in April. That's yeah. the worst storm yet, And you go, this yeah. is unacceptable. Pretty much. So that's what makes it difficult.
1: Right. And that's what we constantly complain about on the show. <laughs> constantly. Constantly. Even now, in July, <laughs> we're still complaining <laughs> about the Dayton's monkey blizzard.
0: <laughs> well, it makes me feel like I'm not getting the most out of my summer. I know. But am I really a summer person? Or am I a basic bitch that just wants it to be fall? <laughs> Do I just want my hot chocolate and my light layers? Yes. I know. Though we already went on a ghost tour. We do try to make it Halloween all year round. We do. Which I guess is what this podcast is also a little bit. Pretty much. Sort of a
1: little we're, sprinkle. We're going on a cemetery tour next Saturday, so. That's true.
0: Here we are. Uh, so I, I, mean, I guess I'm living my best life. I'm trying. I will feel guilty about anything <laughs> is the real. Ain't that the truth. What does that have to do with anything? All right,
1: let's jump into the, the <laughs> mysteries, shall we? <laughs> yes, you go first. You have a lost love. Oh, I'm first. Yes, a lost love, which is the theme of the season. This is a lost love. Uh, Robert Sticks starts this this segment with something profound and very poetic. He says that, because uh, this is the story of Jim Bukowski, sure. Who's... Wait, let me see it. It's in the second paragraph. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Bukowski. Jim Bukowski went to Vietnam and came back a changed person. What Jim went through, according to Robert Stack, during the war turned his life inside out. But there is one memory from the war that Jim will always hold dear. That memory has a name and a face. It's Linda Sharp.
0: <laughs> Which I yes. was very poetic. Yes. Basically, the same as the mystery we've already done. Kind of. And I actually, at one point, was like, Have I watched this episode yeah, before? It's yeah. It's
1: very similar to the one in which the nurse helped the wounded. Soldier, yes, uh, um, learned to walk again. I forget his name anyway. So, Jim was drafted to the Vietnam War in December 1967. When he learned that he would be drafted to Vietnam, he called his high school sweetheart
0: Dolores, asking her to marry him. This is a really cute reenactment where he's in this like phone booth in the rain and he had to wait like four hours to be able to call her. I and know. she had already turned down his proposal twice, but then she says yes, and it's really adorable, it's pretty cute.
1: She accepted it and they married prior to his departure. Just one week after their wedding, she was he was sent to Vietnam. Within 3 months he was wounded twice, once in the jaw and once in the leg. Um, so on August 29th, 1968, just 2 days before he was to be reunited with Dolores, he and his platoon were attacked. Jim describes them as having no chance. There were about 50 in his platoon and they were outnumbered by approximately 200. By his estimate, Jim says that his whole platoon was basically wiped out, and we have some reenactments of this that are frightening.
0: The reenactments in this segment are
1: very good. Yes, they're very well done, and it really brings out like the horror of like what happened to his it's platoon. It's just like well shot. Yeah. yeah, you see people being dragged, and there's you know, a lot of. Gunfire, and yeah, it's it's really well done and also kind of horrifying. Jim was seriously wounded, wound, uh, losing his leg. He tells this harrowing story of being blown down a hill,
0: picking up his leg, he which was blown off and crawling back up the hill. Picked up his own leg. Yeah. That freaks me out so much.
1: <laughs> it's really mm. frightening. So he crawled back up the hill. He was rescued. He was one of the only people in his platoon to survive. Uh Dolores's parents were sent word of his injuries and Jim was rushed by medical helicopter to the 67th evacuation hospital in a city th- in Vietnam that I'm not going to try and pronounce. Um when Jim arrived, he had a fever of 105, an infected wound, and he had lost 6 pints of blood. Which how much blood is in your body? <laughs> Not much more than six pints, I don't That's think. terrible. His first memory after the attack was seeing Captain Linda Sharp, an army nurse. Jim said that he could hear other people saying he's not going to make it, but Linda encouraged him to live.
0: Hey, how about not say that with an earshot of the <laughs> dude? It's not great. No. Like
1: someone just standing there like, that guy? He's done for. He's done for. He's not going to make it. Uh, due to the infection, the rest of his leg was amputated up to the hip. He then had to take frigid baths to lower his body temperature, but Linda would come and sit with him. She'd tell him that if they could just get his temperature down, she'd take them out and they'd get a couple of beers.
0: And this is also a really cute reenactment. Also, when he's being rolled in from the gurney, they like shoot it from his point of view. Yeah. Which, yeah, whatever. It wouldn't be like a big deal in a movie, but I feel like for an Unsolved Mysteries reenactment, it's pretty clever. It is. And then the actress playing Captain Sharp. In this reenactment, actually does like a really good job. She
1: does a really good job and you can she really like brings home this image of Linda as being just this really caring. Very friendly. The the type of nurse you wanna have if you're seriously injured, if you're in the hospital, even if you're not in a war zone.
0: Like Just, just upbeat, positive. Yeah, it made him feel optimistic while everyone else is like this guy's done for and she's just like you're gonna be fine we're gonna get beers right enjoy your freezing cold ice bath that's probably the last thing you want in the whole world (laughs) she would also come and sit with
1: him when she didn't need to like he just had to sit in this bath for 10 minutes or whatever and she would come and sit with him and chat with him and keep his spirits up which is you know really going above and beyond yeah
0: clearly she put in a lot of work i like these segments even though this is kind of really similar to one that we've already done i do feel like nurses do not get nearly enough credit no, for sure. Which is I was thinking about like our society like reveres doctors. Like if you if you say so like, oh, so and so is a doctor, like it's like the I nicest know. thing. But We should act that way about nurses. We really should. Which, is that the patriarchy? Yeah, that fucking is. That's evidence of the patriarchy right (laughs) there. It is. So I like that she's getting some credit for going above and beyond and changing this guy's life. I know. And I will say, so in the last
1: couple of years, my mom has had some medical issues and we've been in the hospital quite a bit. And we've had both really good and really bad nurses. It makes such a difference. It makes a huge difference. There is, in fact, one hospital that I have told her we're never going back to because we had such a bad experience with nurses with bad bedside manner. And it makes a huge difference. And it makes a difference in how you physically feel and how you physically heal. Yes. Like, having a good nurse will... I feel like actually makes you heal faster. It makes you feel better. Like, well, they're the they're the
0: people doing all the work, really. Yes, and they're the people spending all the time with you. Mm-hmm. So the doctor just like waltzes in, waltzes out, doesn't really know what's going on with you. Yeah, it's it's the nurse that's actively involved in your recovery. Right. So
1: yeah, so I do credit really to all
0: nurses. Thank yes. you. Unsung heroes.
1: So over, except the bad
0: ones at that hospital, except, Samantha won't go
1: to anymore. Yes, except, except them. for them. Thumbs down. They to were terrible. Uh, which is in the minority, I will say, too. Yeah, Like, even though they stand out because it really sure. makes your experience terrible. That's not, you know, the case for most nurses. Most of them are amazing. Um, so, over the next six days, Jim began to heal. With Linda there encouraging him, he began to regain his spirit. Late one night, two days before he was scheduled to leave, she kept her promise to him. She snuck into the room where his bed was and took him outside, and they had a beer together under the stars. It's
0: so cute! This is the cutest thing. Like, this is almost...
1: Something it's supposed that would to be, be from in a... a
0: romantic comedy yeah. or whatever, but this
1: really happened. She snuck in. She wheeled his bed outside in the middle of the night and, and drink a
0: couple. And she's like, "He's like, where are we going?" And she's like, "Shh." I know
1: it's. And so then they cute. get outside,
0: and she's like, "Hey, I keep my word. It's let's enjoy these beers." Freaking adorable!
1: Aww. Aww, I know it's so sweet. So outside, Linda asks Jim about writing a letter to Dolores. Apparently, this was required. Jim said yes. that you were not allowed to leave the mash unit until
0: you wrote a letter to your wife. The army essentially sort of makes you notify your family that you're wounded. She gets like a telegram or something. Mm -hmm. She's, I I suppose that's not true. She's already been notified that he's been wounded. But he's required to like, say like, I'm coming home. I'm going to be all right. Yeah. Like. That And and then she included a letter with that. I know. So Jim said that he didn't have
1: the courage to do it so Linda helped him. And then unbeknownst to Jim, Linda wrote her own letter and she also sent along a photograph um, of Jim. In her letter, Linda tells Dolores how very much Jim loves her. She says how cheerful and optimistic Jim is, but to expect that it will be Um, a lot of hard work and a long road linda tells dolores to work hard and to never pity jim she says that there will be days when jim will be discouraged but to never feel sorry for him he needs understanding love and help never pity and um she also said that the missing leg doesn't make him less of a person and it certainly doesn't lessen his love for her that's really sweet which was like the sweetest thing ever it was also hilarious because she's like i'm not a good letter writer and then proceeds to write all of this like perfect stuff that makes Dolores, like, totally understand.
0: Look, people used to have very high letter writing standards. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I guess. I'm like, <laughs> you seem like a great letter writer.
0: Like, she has just the perfect things to say. Like, the exact yeah. right stuff. So finally, and it meant a lot to his wife because she didn't know what to expect. And she, no. no one in her family had been wounded in combat or otherwise. So it was reassuring to her that, like, it'll like yeah, fun. it'll be hard, but we'll get through it. And she was like, oh, okay. Like, right. she needed to hear that. Yeah, exactly.
1: So the other thing is that Dolores got one telegram saying he was wounded and like nothing else. Yeah. It's so not, she doesn't know, is he okay? Like what happened? Where is the injury? Yeah. Like how much does will this impact his life? Right. So this was probably a huge deal to Dolores. So finally, on September 6th, 1968, Jim began his journey home. Linda was by his side as he was put into a helicopter to leave Vietnam. Since then, he has not stopped thinking about her. He believes that she was key to his survival. In 1969, Jim received two awards for his bravery in Vietnam. However, despite the war being over, he still faced a personal war. He still suffers from post-traumatic
0: stress disorder. He wants. Qu- he had to pick up his own leg. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Um, well all, all these other people he knew died
1: I, know. I can't imagine it's awful so he wants to thank linda for helping him through his difficult time so this is solved a week before the broadcast linda <laughs> saw herself and jim on a promotion for the show and called the telecenter two weeks later she That's arrived how
0: good unsolved mysteries isn't solving mysteries solving it hasn't it.
1: even aired <laughs> yet and she was like wait is that ad about me
0: call in the telecenter
1: so she arrived in colorado and was reunited with him she also finally met dolores and their son he presented her with a portrait of a vietnam nurse inscribed with her name sadly jim passed away on march 20th 1999 um, but he was thankful for his friendship with her until the end to this day linda remains in contact with his family that's so nice.
0: The reunion was so sweet. It's really really sweet. Um, that piece of artwork he gives her is like the ugliest thing it's I ever saw. So tacky. But she cries, she cries and she was yeah. like this is like the culmination of my nursing career to know that I made such a difference and I to know. have this award and I was like it is not an award it is the ugliest piece of artwork that he got your name on a platform but it's such a heartfelt gesture and she clearly really appreciates it and me being a snob is irrelevant (laughs) (laughs) because she like tears up and hugs him and then like he survived and he gotta have a son and like she gets to see the whole impact on his life and I love that she brought photo albums to like I don't know if it's stuff from the war are just like she was like here's what i've been up to here's me camping like <laughs> it was so, so cute
1: sweet. and the thing she says is she's like i you know leave i see these patients for a short period of time she was only with him for six days and they leave and i don't know if i've had an impact on their lives i don't know if they go on to live normal lives like is he and delora still together she's she like, said I thought that them. she
0: would think about that from time to time and yeah, wonder if they were still together I know. do you think she was like i hope they broke up so i can sweep <laughs> it he's no. the man for me now I don't think I either. think she
1: really wanted him to be happy and she Get got better. to finally see that he was and that I mean as happy as he could be uh but he
0: seemed delighted to see her
1: and the thing of it is is that they're like his whole demeanor is- was
0: different when he was talking for the original segment about wanting to find her he sounded like determined you know whatever right But when he's talking about after they've reunited, he's like glowing. Yeah, he's so happy.
1: This is like what he wanted his whole life. And what I think is amazing, and probably what um, Linda was thinking is that him and Dolores' marriage survived what must have been a really long and difficult road, which is what Linda told her in her letter. And was like, listen, it's going to be hard, but stick with it. Encourage him. Don't pity him. And turns out she took her advice. And And it works. Happily married. They have a son. Like, it's the sweetest story yeah yeah it's
0: really great i liked it thanks unsolved mysteries for having a happy story mm-hmm. i mean only unsolved mysteries happy story would involve a guy picking up his own leg <laughs> yeah well it's it, a happy ending it's a happy end it is very sweet yeah and i'm sad that guy has passed away but i'm glad that he got to mm-hmm. he got what he wanted before then yeah totally and it seems like he was acting like that was like the last step in his recovery was getting to thank her so yeah. It was like a full circle thing for him.
1: It was lovely. Yeah. All right. You're up next.
0: Oh, and this, I sure am. This, is, this one's good. This one is a, a mystery. <laughs> it's
1: a mystery. It's a fraud. Uh, Robert but Have Sef- we ever been excited about a fraud?
0: I don't know, but I'm excited about this fraud. <laughs> it's me the first time. It's, is it normal to go, it's a fraud? <laughs> It is not normal. Uh It's normal for this podcast, but it's not normal for real life. Okay, yesterday I was going to DSW with my husband and there were some crows on top of the building that were cawing. And so I started just cawing at them, like (laughs) trying to talk to them. And then later, Mac was like, oh, I hope Coke Zero is on sale. And I was like, you're so weird. (laughs) Me, the person that was just casually trying to talk to crows. And I was like, and then at least you have that, like you can like self
1: reflect and like I was like, you have this self awareness.
0: I was like, it's so weird that you drink Coke Zero. (laughs) It's so weird that the thing you're gonna buy, you wish it was on sale. Unlike me, person that just randomly was like, I bet I can talk to these crows. Anyway, a um, fraud, a fraud. Robert Stack tells us that. We all think we could spot a con artist. Do but, we? I yeah, don't know. according to Robert Stack. Con artists come in all sorts of packages. Even a grandma baking goodies could be out to take your money and run. It's going to be good. Yes, because this is the case of Gertrude Pruitt, who was a granny and also a con artist. Gertrude? Gert, yes. You might think you could trust a sweet old lady named Gertrude, but you think fucking again. absolutely cannot. <laughs> her alias is also Martha Gray. I don't think that came up at all. So she was a 70 year old woman who acted as a sweet grandmother. I mean, maybe she wasn't even a grandmother. I don't know. I
1: don't
0: know. You we just never
1: assume that an old woman is a grandmother. Yeah. Well.
0: Does she have any grandchildren? Not that we ever hear of. But in reality, she was scamming our clients out of millions of dollars. From 1979 to 81, she was running what appeared to be a flourishing investment company in Beverly Hills. And she claimed that her investment opportunities came from her connections in the southern carpet and textile industries. Which at some point, one woman was like, yeah, she was making a lot of money off carpet. She was in this giant two-story building in Beverly Hills by the Brown Derby. And was like, yeah, it's because we're going to be selling this carpet to a hotel chain. Hmm. Okay. Sure, but most clients were caught off guard by her southern charm and hospitality, and did not realize they were being scammed.
1: Listen, this is all you have. This is all you have to do to be a scam artist. You have to bake some fruitcake yes. and have a southern accent, so, and people are like, "You can't
0: scam me. You're too wholesome." Gertrude treated her clients as best as possible. She would send them out to lunch. They made a big deal that she made them homemade fruitcake among <laughs> other desserts, and she was apparently a very good cook. And they have one of her employees be like look, I'm not really a fruitcake fan, but honestly, it was delicious. (laughs) And it's like him confessing his deepest, darkest secret was like, I don't want to admit this, but Gertrude's fruitcake was the best I ever had. (laughs) So, so you I see, love the reenactments of her just walking around offering fruitcake she's to She's like, oh, inside. I made this at home. Mm. And like clients would come in and talk to her about carpets. And she'd be like, well, of course you should think about it. And of course you should go discuss it with your wife. And, oh, why doesn't someone take you out to lunch at the Brown Derby? They have great food there. Which, sadly, the Brown Derby doesn't exist anymore. But that used to be like swanky hollywood spot you know if you watch that movie ed wood there's a part that's in the brown derby and that's why i wish it was still around (laughs) anyway so she would hire limousines to pick up people and bring them to her office blah 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 we hear from one investor who they're calling minra or whatever i don't know they make up some fake name it that i'm not even familiar with his name <laughs> and she says that when she enters the office she could tell that gertrude was like sizing her up mm-hmm. but then when like gertrude like snaps on the charm she immediately forgot about that and was just like oh the fruitcake oh the carpet investments right right you Because know, like she, you do. she's not doing like a high pressure sale and i think that's why people People are taken off guard by the fact that she's a sweet looking old lady. Right.
1: And we've kind of seen that before where it's like, oh, they didn't try and pressure me into this.
0: So they must be legit. Yeah. Which is, I can see how that would work. That if someone's coming on too strong, you're like, "Mm, no, like, I don't trust this. But if someone's just like, yeah, sure. Think it over. Maybe take some fruitcake home. That you're like, okay. 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 I, you know, I would like to make some money in the carpet business. Um, and we also see a reenactment of her 40 year old son Harold just like angrily typing away <laughs> in an office. He was her partner, but he didn't really interact with the clients. He didn't have the like Southern charm, social, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So people would be like, oh, I was their accountant for years and I never met Harold <laughs> because he like
1: she didn't let him interact with the yeah. customers because he's <laughs> in his office rage
0: typing. Yeah, exactly. So Myra says that she invested $100,000. Yeah. In this company before she realized something was wrong. It was that damn fruitcake, you guys. It was just yeah. so good. <laughs> Honestly, it was delicious. So, so she gets a check from Gertrude for her investment, you know, profit. And it bounces. So she comes to Gertrude and is very upset, obviously. And Gertrude's like, oh, well, I don't believe it. And this woman's like, well, I do, because I just came from the bank. <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, we just made a large deposit. Maybe it hasn't cleared yet. Like, take this fruitcake. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> pretty much
1: what Gertrude is. She's take like,
0: this fruitcake, go home, and for your trouble, how about we have lunch next week? And this woman was like, I really, because she was so sweet, I was not thinking of her as like... A scammer. A sc- I was thinking of her as a friend. Right. I wasn't thinking of this as like a business thing, yep. where I should have been like, no, where's my fucking money? Instead of, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, let's have let's have uh, lunch next week. Well, I just
1: like love that her thing is if
0: anyone's upset, you're like, oh, she's like, oh don't worry, have some fruitcake. Some fruit cake. We're talking about a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> not a small amount of yeah, no. money. It's not like she bought a fruitcake and it was spoiled and they gave her another fruitcake. <laughs> that would make sense. I would understand that. <laughs> this is someone that has invested a ton of money. You give them a check and it bounces, which is incredibly shady, and then it's like, oh, my dearest, I baked for you as a sign of our love. So after this, tons of calls are coming into the investment company, everybody's checks are bouncing, but suddenly Gertrude and Harold aren't really around. So the employees are just, like, fending for themselves and trying what to do. Well, one employee whose family and friends had invested a lot in this business immediately is suspicious. He calls the accountant and is like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. And he Mm -hmm. realizes that the statements they've been giving clients about their investments are completely fraudulent and don't match the reality of what is in the accounts. So you get this scene of him on the phone going, but if that's true, that means this is a fraud. <laughs> well, it is. So he goes and rifles through the file cabinets <laughs> and takes out, like, four boxes of evidence proving that the statements they're giving clients and the reality of the, the investments are not the same. Right. And he at one point threatens Harold that, like basically give people their money back or i'm going to the the authorities Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then harold's like are you threatening me and the employee's like no i'm telling the truth (laughs) which i'm sure is exactly how it went down
1: And Harold's like but here's some fruit cake
0: (laughs) but did it did i we mention we have more fruit cake why threaten us um however by the time then the authorities are involved gertrude and harold are no longer nowhere to be found um three years later harold was arrested by the fbi and in 86 he was taken to trial um and based on the testimony of 20 clients he was convicted of mail fraud and sentenced to eight years in prison so when this airs they are on the search for granny gertrude who did not come back for her son's trial which scandalized people and i was sort of like of course she did obviously she's on the run she's not actually a sweet old lady (laughs) She's a con artist. Why don't you get that? <laughs> she has the money and she's rolling around in it <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. She's buying fruitcake supplies. So this case aired in 1990. Uh, and with she was captured in five days of the story airing. She was arrested in Bakersfield, California, thanks to viewers' tips. She had been working as a live-in housekeeper under that assumed name. Um, and she eventually pleaded guilty to seven counts of mail fraud and was sentenced to eight years in prison. She was released and died in 2010, and Harold was released after serving four years. It used to be that um, with these sort of scams, it was like easier to convict people of mail fraud for sending the fraudulent statements through the mail was like the bigger crime than stealing the money almost, which I've heard is a reason why you should still get paper statements, but...
1: Oh, interesting.
0: I don't know if that's really Never true. Heard that before. Yeah. Hmm. So that is the story of Granny Gertrude and her conning fruitcake. Hmm. So Listen, be guys, suspicious of everyone.
1: That is the moral of our podcast. We, if you have one takeaway,
0: see, we don't want you to live in paranoia, but no. also don't be too trusting. You got to find yeah. a healthy balance. Yeah, that's true. It's a constant. <laughs> it's a constant. You to war. constantly work at it.
1: Yeah, doesn't All come right. easy. Number, All right, number three.
0: Which is this one?
1: An unexplained death.
0: Oh yeah. Dan Short. Oh yeah. Oh this is a good too. This, this is a
1: good one. So fifty one year old Dan Short was the president of the local bank in Noel, Missouri. At eight AM on the morning of October 6, eighty nine, one of his employees came to work and found the vault open and seventy thousand dollars stolen. That's gotta be a like
0: I'm just imagining this woman going about her daily routine. Like, you know, she packs her lunch, she grabs her purse, whatever, gets in the car, goes to work. It's like thinking about something else. You're like going through the motions. Sure, sure. And then you just have a moment where your stomach like totally drops. Yeah. And you're like, what? what? I know. (laughs) What? Where's the money at the bank where I work? Oh, $70, shit.
1: $70,000. So the FBI and two separate police agencies investigated. They found two 45 caliber shell casings on the floor. When they tried to contact Dan, they were unsuccessful. As a result, he became the first suspect in the case. However, the investigation changed on October 11th after his body was found taped to a chair and floating in Grand Lake 20 miles away
0: from the bank. This reveal is great because you have a moment. This is what I wrote down. Did Dan rob his own bank? Right. Nope. He's dead. And then (laughs) tied to a chair with a concrete block and thrown from a bridge. Like, it's crazy. You think he might have robbed it. Right. You find out that he's dead. And then they do this dramatic shot of pulling... This terrifying chair that looks like something from a saw movie. Oh my god, it's, it's
1: frightening. It's,
0: I actually thought that might be the actual chair that he like was thrown cuz it looks so scary. It looks so scary. It's like a rickety red kitchen chair that's seen better days, but is covered in rusty gigantic metal chain mm-hmm. and then has a giant cement block at the base of it. And
1: it has like vegetation dripping off yeah, of it it's, and like it's, it's gross. terrifying. Yeah, it's really scary. I
0: didn't know a chair could be terrifying, but right.
1: that thing, I hate it. It's also just, I mean, Unsolved Mysteries does a good job of making these shots. And I think this is why people up to this day still remember being scared of this show. Because they do these shots that are so simple, but so scary.
0: There's like it's just Here's a the chair. And you're like uh yeah it's
1: frightening so and that's what i thought too when i went, first watched the segment i'm like oh dan robbed this bank and it's gonna be a wanted or whatever but turns out it's not nope he's dead yes he had apparently been dropped into the water while he was still alive the it's state police good. were now not only searching for bank thieves but also cold-blooded
0: killers that's what Robert ex says is this when he's standing out by a, a lake and the he looks kind of hot?
1: He comes around and he's in the trench coat, which is, it's, he's not dressed for
0: this weather. It's, he, a, it's too warm, Yeah, back. he's
1: down by the swamp and he comes around this big shrub and it's like, Robert's like, what are you doing?
0: Yeah. He was like, this guy drowned in some water. Let's put him by a lake that's clearly not the same one. And then <laughs> he's just out there in the sun trying to not sweat. You know, just off camera,
1: there's kids in like board shorts and... Yeah. Yeah. They're fishing off a dock. Broward's right. is quite out of place. And he's talking
0: about he was chained to a da- chair and <laughs> drowned off a
1: bridge. So investigators found that when Dan became bank president in 1983, the local economy was in bad shape. He had to balance the needs of the local people with the bank's need to turn a profit. In the process, he alienated some people. Uh, individuals had their belongings repossessed and their credit denied. I mean that is how a bank works. I know. So, however, he was friendly and most of his com- customers um appeared to h-
0: like him and he had no known enemies. Someone t- says while explaining that he was nice, like, "Look, he wasn't a backslapper." <laughs> Isn't a backslapper
1: like a friend? Like, you know. And I was like,
0: so this guy was an introvert is what you're saying. <laughs> like he wasn't oh, like sure. a loud, friendly personality. That he was just sense. a nice guy. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like, I, why are you acting like that's weird? Yeah, I don't know.
1: Uh, he lived in an isolated home eight miles out of town. On the night of the robbery, October 5th, he had a guest over to his house who left around 11 p.m. Investigators believe that the killers abducted him between 11 and one thirty a.m. from his house, most likely at gunpoint. They believe that he and the killers arrived at the bank around 2 a.m. and that they forced him to turn off the alarm and unlock the doors. They damaged the cameras and then forced him to open the vault. In the end, they took the $70,000 that was in there. However, they left behind at least $100,000 that they may not have known about. Witnesses heard one of the assailants shooting at one of the cameras around 3 a.m.
0: And this is also how they probably right away knew that Dan didn't rob his own bank because he would have taken that other money. Yeah. That was probably in a different vault or whatever. There was $100,000 in there. There was even more than they took. Right. And also, Robert Stafford makes a point of saying that they took the heavy coins, which every other bank robber would go, that's a waste of time.
1: Right. Uh, I wonder if they slung them over their shoulders in little sacks.
0: Probably. They had big dollar signs on them.
1: (laughs) A few minutes later, a caravan of three vehicles was seen by a trucker. The first vehicle was believed to have been Dan's pickup truck. The second vehicle was a blue pickup tra- truck, and the last, um, the latter passed the trucker. I don't know what that means. The second vehicle was a <laughs> blue pickup truck.
0: Yes, I really. So you get this information from a witness that's not identified, and it's just like you know they do that blackout thing, right? I really liked that guy's voice.
1: It was he had a good voice, and at I one bet point, he had a mustache, but we didn't get to see it.
0: At one point, he's talking about how the person had a lot of beard. <laughs> i don't know it's just cute that's a cute way of describing it
1: (laughs) at some point they ditched dan's pickup truck and placed him in a van and in on a kitchen chair with weights attached authorities believe that he was unconscious but alive at the time he was thrown into the river due to the fact that he was not gagged this is the thing i don't know that they actually know if he was conscious or not i think they might just be saying that to like Make us
0: feel better? Make us
1: feel a little bit better? I don't know how you would know if he was unconscious. They definitely know he was alive because he had like water in his lungs or whatever, but I think they might just be saying this because I don't know that we actually know. They didn't want to say, oh, he died screaming. Right. So witnesses saw a dark van on the bridge, which they believe he was thrown from around 6 a.m., but it sped off before they could obtain a license plate number. The killers remain at large. The reenactment of them throwing this like chair with a dummy attached to it into the from the yeah, bridge it's is really scary very clearly a dummy though well yeah <laughs> it definitely is a dummy but it's, that's it's fine scary. that's it's scary
0: enough mainly it's
1: scary because you're like that's a horrible way to go it seems like a
0: really bad way to die
1: terrible I hope that's not how I go so there were no suspects at the time that the episode was broadcasted, although some people believe that the killers may have been people who were angered with the bank and had taken it on Dan. I don't really buy that. I no, didn't... it seems so over the top. Yeah, it seems it's like, like that, this is just a bank robbery. That someone
0: goes in and is like, oh, could I get a loan for my house? And he's like, actually, your credit's terrible. I'm so sorry, you can't. I'm going to tie you to a chair and <laughs> throw you off a bridge. Yeah, Like, that doesn't happen. People get denied for loans and yeah. all the time, and they don't... It's a bit of an overreaction. Don't murder the bank manager in the most dramatic way possible. Pretty much. Um, an- I'm sorry, Dan Short.
1: Another theory was that Dan stumbled onto something at his bank, either money laundering or some other illegal activity, and was silenced. Awesome. This is their theory every time. A witness spotted a medium blue Chevy pickup truck near Dan's bread pickup truck around the time of the murder... Inside the blue truck was a heavy set white man with long brown hair. Oh, this and must a be the Percy. The lot of beard, yes. <laughs> One week before the murder, the truck and its driver were sighted at a local gas station by the same witness that would later see them on the night of the murder. The witness noticed that the truck had a white toolbox on the back and had Oklahoma license plates. The truck was seen again near Dan's home just four days before his murder. Dan had told his brother that he felt he was being staked out, and one occasion his home was actually broken into. Because of this information, investigators believe Dan's killer planned everything in advance. So there um, is also a forensic file and an FBI file oh. about this case, if you're interested. Also, an episode of something called Swamp Murders. Okay. I don't know where you can watch that, but it features <laughs> How am I just learning about the show Swamp Murders? Um, I wonder if that's anything like the, what is, do you remember that show that was briefly on, like, National Geographic about the, like, alligator hunters or what? Yes, uh-huh. Um, I wonder if it's anything like like that show, which was ridiculous. What was that called? What was that called? Swamp Something. It was Swamp Something. Um, anyway, so the result of this case is that it is solved on March 1992, brothers shannon and joseph agofsky were arrested and charged with robbery and murder shortly after the murder shannon had allegedly bragged to his friends that he was the richest teenager in the county presumably due to the robbery
0: i used to say that too it was just a lie you were the richest
1: kid in the county <laughs> no. <laughs> what an asshole thing to say. It is. Investigators <laughs> discovered that the two owned forty-five caliber firearms. However, their parents claimed that they were at home at the time of the murders, so they were not considered suspects at the time. Shortly uh-huh. after the murder, a wad of duct tape was found on the shore of the river that Dan was found in. Forensics and chemical testing determined that this tape came from the same rule that was used to oh! tie Dan to the chair. Oh,
0: I remember this forensic files now. Do you remember Yes. They didn't make the chair seem nearly as terrifying. Okay. <laughs> so it didn't quite stick with you? Yeah. But I remember this comparing duct tape thing. Okay, okay. Fingerprints
1: found on this piece of tape were matched to Shannon Agofsky. Investigators discovered that the brothers had been spending large amounts of money in the months following the murders, even though they were both unemployed. A witness also identified a chain hoist found with Dan's body as one that had he had left at the Avgovsky home. The Agofsky's mother also owned a brown van similar to the one seen on the bridge on the night of the murder. Oh. Based on the evidence, the Agofsky brothers were convicted of robbery and sentenced to life in prison. Shannon was convicted of Dan's murder and was given another life sentence. Joseph's murder trial ended in a hung jury. Prosecutors decided not to retry him since he was already serving a life sentence for the robbery. In March 2013, Joseph died in prison from unknown causes at the age of 46. <laughs> okay. Shannon is now on death row for the 2001 murder of a fellow inmate. Wow. So, that- How old were they when they committed this crime? They were teenagers, but it doesn't say how old they were. Wow. Why were they so cruel
0: about it? I have
1: no idea um but that was that so maybe watch the forensic files
0: do you remember much about that episode would you I recommend it i don't but i'm happy to watch and give an update on it cool
1: yeah because apparently yeah it was featured on a couple different tv shows it's a, it's a weird
0: one it is very weird it's also it doesn't seem like they had any personal vendetta against him and they killed i think him they
1: just a... wanted the money cruel so way it's, yeah it's too bad
0: I, that they i guess it kind of makes sense they're so young because they pointed out all these things about the bank robbery like look this isn't pros right like they shoot at the camera when they're done with the robbery (laughs) they took the coins like there was no need to shoot at the camera also because then people heard the gunshots yeah like like it's not a movie it seems like something teenagers would think you do in a bank
1: robbery is shoot out the cameras they,
0: they like spray paint it and turn it around at the beginning but then at the end they shoot it and yeah they didn't get all the money but they took the coins and Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes sense like, oh, these are just dumb teenagers. But then why kill him in such a brutal way? They didn't need to kill him at all. No. Here's the thing. He would have let him just take the money. Right. So that was that one. Awful. Yep. Are you ready for one of the
1: mysteries I've been looking forward to?
0: Oh, I am. Yes, I am. So this comes up as like a sneak surprise. Yeah, they don't I have mention no idea. at the beginning. They sort of give you a little rundown. I don't know if you watch Unsolved Mysteries, but they give you a little rundown of what mysteries you're going to expect. Uh-huh. They don't mention this. I also turned like,
1: this off because, ba-bam. I
0: we were done? Surprise! We're talking about lake monsters all of a sudden. Hell yeah! Happy birthday! <laughs> you're welcome. It's lake monster time. This is the unexplained. I'm Robert Stack very starts about this. off by telling us that. There isn't just a Loch Ness monster. Oh, no. Oh, no. You might have thought, there's one lake monster in the world and it's the Loch Ness monster, the most famous one. Uh-uh. There are 60 lakes in the world that have sea monster sightings. And for some reason, Robert saying is obsessed with the fact that they're all around the same latitude. Right. Does that matter? I don't know, but he shows you on a map <laughs> of the world different lakes, where they are, and how they're all kind of in a line. Okay. And he says that The idea of lake monsters is bizarre, but somehow enchanting thought, (laughs) which is the most Robert Stack phrase, which basically means it's total bullshit, but we're going to talk about it anyway. (laughs)
1: Enchanting.
0: Yes. So we go to Lake Okanaga in British Columbia, which has been having sea monster sightings for 300 years. 300. Yeah. So I guess that's impressive. It is a big lake. 79 miles long it's deep i wonder if there are any lake monsters in lake superior probably Probably. is it at the right latitude maybe
1: not maybe that's the problem
0: cool you gotta look into that so (laughs) oh also robert sack has talked about how the Loch Ness might be able to swim into the sea through secret channels and for some reason he thinks that if things are at the same latitude they'll also be able to do that (laughs) makes perfect Uh, sense uh okay so we learned that the indigenous people of this area had a sea monster story that they called Nataka, probably saying that wrong, which means lake demon. Okay. Okay. So that's how it goes back 300 years, Samantha. Makes sense. Only at this point did they bring up the ridiculous name that this lake monster... <laughs> You're like minutes in at this point. You're like, okay, sea monsters, lake monsters, yep, Loch yep. Ness. What's this called? What's this called? Oh, it's called Ogopogo, of course. <laughs> what?! And I was like, well, it makes sense that they waited so long. They sort of are trying to reel you in. So like, yeah, maybe it's possible. Maybe there's somehow something in the lake that we haven't discovered yet. There's tons of things in the sea that we don't know are there. The sea is terrifying. That's true. That's it's true. It's full of horrible monsters.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It makes complete sense to me that sailors used to be like, oh, there are sea monsters. Because what is a giant squid? A it's, sea monster. It's a sea monster. Yeah. The fact that they didn't call it a giant squid—what difference does it make? It's huge <laughs> and terrifying. Ag- terrifying. If you call it a kraken, like fine, it's the same thing, right? So, but the idea that something like that is in a
1: lake—yeah, it's a little weird. It's, it's called when you go pogo.
0: You know what the okay. name reminds me of? The it's like a <laughs> an urban legend <laughs> that kids made up. Oh, uh, if you want me to believe in something. Maybe don't call it Ogopogo. It rem- I'm sorry. It
1: reminds me of the urban legend of Bob Yaga. Do you know that urban no, legend? No, what's that? I-, I actually don't know the details. I'll have to look it up and give an update. But the name has stuck with me. Because it's like something kids make up, right? You're like, oh yeah, the monster Ogopogo who lives in the woods, <laughs> right? Like
0: What this sounds like to me is... I don't know why. You already had this Native American name. But it sounds like white people trying making to... Making up a... Uh, yep. Yes. Yep, it also sounds like that. That's what... Lo- it's like when there's like a camp like i i wouldn't be surprised if there was a camp ogopogo for and sure. it's for white kids to like sleep in teepees and make fires you right. know yep so anyway god damn ogopogo <laughs> anyway so that's the reason they wait so long in the segment to tell you the name of the lake monster because they want you to kind of be going oh maybe that's possible maybe it can swim in from the ocean and sure, there's, sure. there's lots of things in the ocean we don't know over there. Yep. we're there we're discovering new species all the time but they're prob we probably should have named them Ogopogo. Probably not. Okay. Then they have a little montage of all these adorable Canadians who have seen Ogopogo, telling very briefly telling their tales and they're all very Canadian accents. They're all so sweet and adorable and they're just like all old retired couples wearing windbreakers and mm-hmm. sweaters and I want to give them all a hug. Mhm. Oh yeah, Ogopogo. <laughs> Like, that's what they all sound like. Oh, yeah, we saw Ogopogo. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You yeah. <laughs> know. It's adorable. It's adorable. There's, at one point, two teenage kids talking about how they were out in a canoe, and they saw Ogopogo. (laughs) And they were so scared. And they were so scared, and it's just the cutest thing, and I love it. It's adorable. Then we hear from this guy, Art, who's wearing gigantic gold glasses. (laughs) Did he have a mustache, too? Someone in here had a pretty big mustache. No, but I have a mustache pick coming up. Okay, good. So, Art, he says... He made a film in the 70s where he oh, yes. was joking to his wife, like, oh, look over there, Ogopogo. And she was like, yeah, that's ducks. <laughs> and he went, well, I'm going to pull over and film those ducks. And then they show you the footage claiming it's Ogopogo. It's literally a wave. It's. Yeah, it's nothing. It's not. I don't even think it's ducks. It's a wave. It's
1: water. Yeah, it's not a creature. I don't understand. They kind of highlight It's a very grainy video.
0: Well, yeah, you can, can, it's like a little 70s camcorder thing. Yes. That, you know, like home video footage. It looks terrible. You can also clearly see it's just a different color wave.
1: If you hung out by lakes as a kid, which if you live in Minnesota, you definitely did. You remember seeing like different color waves and joking to each other that it was a sea monster, or like playing pretend that
0: it's like a monster in the lake. That's what these people did, except they were Because it
1: does kind of look like a dark shape in the water, but it's clearly just a wave. It's just how the water looks. That's what this is, but they like made a big show of comparing it to the trees and like because we know how how tall the pine trees are, we can estimate that it was forty feet long. It's like, but but it's just
0: water. Yeah, but it's it's, yeah. There's nothing there. it's Just water. Okay, then we get some more recent footage from a guy named Ken, and Ken is my mustache pick. Oh yes, Ken. This is what I drew for his mustache. I call his mustache the believer. (laughs) Ken
1: is a believer.
0: Ken is very sure that he has video footage of Ogopogo, which is him and his dad heard that Ogopogo was hanging out by some logs in the lake. Which, by the way, can you think of any animal that would want to hang out by some logs? Mm, Okay.
1: Okay. Mm, Interesting. So they go down there.
0: They go down there. With their video camera, specifically looking for this monster. And then oh my goodness, they see it. Oh my god. And, and he films it. And was it Ogopogo is? It is so clearly a beaver. <laughs> where You don't even need to be told no. that this is a beaver. They show you the footage and I go, Oh, a beaver. Yeah. Like it's a beaver. It's clearly a beaver. I'm just gonna keep saying It's <laughs> It's a beaver. Because there's like nothing else to say. Like it's So obviously Have you ever seen a beaver? Because that's a beaver. Have you even maybe never seen a beaver, but you can imagine what a beaver must look like? (laughs) Like, that's what this is. Like, huh, I wonder what would be in a lake going to a bunch of logs (laughs) that also looks exactly like a beaver. So then they have this adorable scientist on. Oh, yeah. Who I am so nice about it. I'm slightly in love with. Wait, do I have what his name is? So... The expert is a regional wildlife biologist, Robert Lincoln, whose hair, beard, sweater, and tweed jacket are all the same color. It's definitely this gray. Silvery. Slightly blue gray. All of it. Yep. And he's like, so it's not a hoax. Right. He didn't make it it's a beaver. <laughs> My but he says it very nicely. Not like I would say it. My favorite part is after they have him on, they cut back to the
1: believer and he is like, no, this can't be a beaver because... When he, Because you see the beaver in the video do a tail slap before it dives into the yes. water. He's like, the beaver had his head above water. If you look at beavers, they always, they never have their head above the water. And then they cut back to the expert who has two photos. Yes. <laughs> he has the photo of the video and then a photo of an actual beaver. It's and like a at, mirror image. It could be the same picture. It's exactly the same. He's like, as you can see here, beavers
0: do do this. And this is what a beaver looks like. And this is a beaver. It is a beaver i don't know what to <laughs> tell you it's so clear and then kind of like no my dad and i once have been impressed by a beaver and it was bigger than a beaver they claim that this beaver was 40 feet long yeah well, dude, come on i didn't realize they were saying that beavers can be four feet long it's i didn't gigantic e- fucking be- can you imagine if you came across a four foot no that's terrifying yikes I'm five six. I don't want to come across a four foot beaver. Yikes! To gnaw my arm off. <laughs> so that well, mistake some- me for a tree. Yeah, that's something I learned. That beavers could be a terrifying size. Yeah. Uh, but they're and- not lake monsters. They're not lake monsters because we know what they are, and they're beavers. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that the specialist is like, "Look, this doesn't prove there isn't an Ogopogo. It's like I would love if there was an. Ogo I would pogo. love maybe it. Maybe there is. I don't know, but it's it's just not in this footage. And I think that's the exact way to talk about it. He was so nice about it. This doesn't prove that it's not real. It just proves that's not what's in this video footage. <laughs> who knows if he's still out there? And then this woman's like, "No, it's a miniature one." And it's like, "What?" I love the woman who was
1: like, "She's like, I will not believe it's a beaver. I will not believe it's a lake otter. I will not believe that it's a log. I know it's a mini ogo pogo." <laughs> I'm like, a mini Ogopogo is, you think, the logical explanation? Yep. <laughs> it can't be a beaver. It has to be a miniature <laughs> lake monster.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. Apparently, the Canadian government has ruled that Ogopogo <laughs> is an endangered species, and you are not allowed to hunt it. I love it so much. I, is there, like, a Canadian stamp with Ogopogo I on it? I bet there is. This town has a statue of Ogopogo in, like, their downtown. I kind of want to go take a picture of that statue. It looks real cute. And it would be a great excuse to go to Canada and buy some cheesies.
1: Hell yeah!
0: Samantha's face like lights up like, what?
1: We should go to Canada and buy some cheesies.
0: And maybe I can meet this guy, Robert Lincoln, who I just think is hilarious. I love him. I'll be like, I'm a huge fan! I'll be the first. His first fan. So Ogopogo has also been featured on the show's Destination Truth, Monster Squad, and Sightings. This is officially unsolved. <laughs> except if you ask a beaver. <laughs> Except for that. The end. That footage is totally solved. It's a beaver. Yes. Could it be hedgehogs, Liz? Maybe it's a bunch of hedgehogs in a beaver suit. Maybe. They killed a four-foot beaver, hollowed him out, (laughs) and they're like inside working it. Because it looked exactly like a beaver,
1: is the thing. Maybe it's a long line of hedgehogs floating on the surface. They're on vacation. And they have a beaver tail in the back
0: yeah. that slaps
1: the water. They're just trying to float along. They're sick of people taking pictures of them. They're just trying to relax. They're taking a vacation from making crop circles. Yeah, well, they would have to relax after
0: that. It's a lot of work.
1: It's a lot of work. Leave them alone.
0: I think you might be on to something. Yeah, that's my theory.
1: You okay. See. Mm-hmm. All right, that's it for this episode. Should we rate it? Please. All right, what did you think of the mysteriousness?
0: It's not that mysterious. Not
1: especially.
0: I mean <laughs> Lost Loves
1: aren't super mysterious. We no. know we know who it is,
0: we just don't know where they are. Gertrude got caught. Even if she didn't, we knew who she was. Nope. Um I guess that your bank robbery was the most mysterious one. It
1: was pretty mysterious, but I don't know if it holds the whole episode. So a sideways. I like I a, guess. a thumb sideways on that one. Lower
0: sideways
1: reenactments I thought they were very good really good really well done a lot of work went into these reenactments
0: yeah I think actually particularly the ones from the last love were phenomenal they gave it their all and that chair was spooky who knew you could have such a spooky chair and that fruitcake didn't look that good but oh well you know (laughs) thumbs up (laughs) fashion uh, yes, because of all the Canadian Ogopoga believers.
1: Those were great. I really enjoyed and those. And you
0: got to see some like 80s Beverly Hills investment fashions from yep. the people going to see Gertrude. Yep, yep. Um, so pretty good. Not like stellar, but...
1: Eh. And then Ken's our MVM. Not a lot of mustaches in this one. No, but...
0: I'm giving Ken the believer the MVM. Yep.
1: Um, what did we say? Oh, f- fashion reenactments. Was that it?
0: Robert Stack? Robert Stack. Where was he? He we
1: had the trench coat. It was he fine. looked hot. Yeah, it was good.
0: By, by which I don't mean sexy. I mean literally warm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Warm in the sun. He was sweating.
1: Um, what else? I think that's so. Okay, out of a possible five out of five, Robert
0: Stack's. But i like this. One? this one. It was solid. Four and a half. Yeah, I'm four. a four. Four. I'm yeah, four. four. I think it was pretty good. I might make someone watch the Ogo Pogo mystery. That was pretty good. Yeah, because it's beef. <laughs> Also, the footage also of the a woman giving everyone fruitcakes. I, I think I am a four and a half. Okay. It's pretty darn good.
1: This is, this is a good one. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. It's solid. I
1: liked it. All right. What is your recommendation this week?
0: Okay. I am going to recommend a book Ooh. that sort of, in an unexpected way, I feel like, okay. inspires this podcast. The book is Pop Kiss, The Life and Afterlife of Sarah Records by Michael White. Ooh. And... Samantha's like, I don't want to read this book. This book is about music. And it is. (laughs) This is about the creation of Sarah Records in Bristol. I think it started in 78. Let me check that. From 87, sorry, to 95. And this is a very small indie record label that was started on like a government grant to make business, small businesses. And they like ran it out of their basement. It was like very, very, you know. What is the word I'm even looking for? Low rent. (laughs) But in a great way, like the music that they release is phenomenal. But it's all like, all of these, they're not the greatest like band stories because then everyone is like, yeah, I was talking to my mates and I said, hey, you want to start a band? And they said, yeah, okay. (laughs) And then we went to record at the studio, but it was really just this guy's Nan's attic with a tape recorder in it. (laughs) Like everything is just like so bare bones. But they made something really great from that. And that's why I'm bringing it up, because I found it very inspiring that you don't have to create a perfect thing. Yeah, that is inspiring. I think a lot of times in the past, I've been like, if I can't make something 100% perfect on the first try, I'm not even going (laughs) to (laughs) bother. How did this podcast even come? That's why I'm bringing it up, because I think this book really shows that you can make something great without that you don't need that level of perfectionism like something can be flawed and still good i love it like this podcast (laughs) (laughs) which is not perfect in any way but we still make it and also what if it was terrible oh well we're enjoying doing it you know what i mean like what if we made the worst podcast that had ever been made who cares is the world gonna end from that no it's already ending doesn't matter <laughs> just make whatever you want to make i love that philosophy so that's why i'm bringing it up i it's in it inspired me to make some artwork stuff i feel like it definitely helped me when we decided yeah sure let's just make a podcast whatever do we have any idea what you're we doing no. no
1: do we still have no idea what we're doing yes, yes
0: exactly exactly when we're doing it and
1: we're having fun and people seem to enjoy it
0: just like sarah records back in bristol <laughs> I love it. I really love the cover of that book, too. Yeah, it's a super nice book, actually. If you're interested in sort of indie music, it, I mean, I'm assuming if you care about bands like the Field Mice and whatever, you have already heard of this, but I feel like just for other creative people, it is, it's just like a different look at making things and like, whether or not that matters. I love the stories of them, like, being so low-budget. That they're like, well, if we had to walk a couple extra miles to save money on Scotch Tape, we would. Like, <laughs> stuff like that is very <laughs> inspiring to me. If people wrote to them, they wrote back. We have a, we love Snail mail here at Perhaps It's You. Oh, yeah, we love it. So, I don't know. I just like the sort of DOI, DIY philosophy of the whole thing. So, that's why Great. I'm suggesting it. Sort of beyond the music aspect, which is also good. It's very well researched. Yeah. All that part of it is good. But I think it... I think there's something to it beyond that.
1: Nice. Well, I'm also recommending a book because I've been doing so much reading this summer. I'm on track to finish my sixth book this week in July. Whoa. Because, it, it, I don't know, I just feel like I'm in this, like, You're all I zone. want to do is forget about everything that's going on in the world. Sure. And uh-huh. just
0: understandable.
1: Just read. So I have a book that I finished this month that I really enjoyed. It's been on my list for a while. It's The Power by Naomi Alderman. Okay. And it's very literary. I, if it's not already being taught in like women's lit like classes, I'm sure it will be. Hmm. I finished um, the book you recommended called Native Tongue a while yeah. ago. And I was like in the mood for some more feminist literature. And this is one that came out like last year, or the year before, and I've been meaning to read it ever since. I'll read you the description. In The Power, the world is a recognizable place. There's a rich Nigerian kid who lounges around the family pool, a foster girl whose religious parents hide their true nature, a local American politician, a tough London girl from a tricky family, but something vital has changed, causing their lives to converge with devastating effect. Teenage girls now have immense physical power. They can cause agonizing pain and even death. And with this small twist of nature, the world changes utterly. So the plot of this book is that one day, so it's our normal world, Mm -hmm. everything's going, you know, people are going about their business, it's the patriarchy, women suddenly gain the ability to electrocute people with their bare hands. They suddenly... Amazing. This, like, organ that, like, existed dormant in women suddenly comes to life, and people, these women, can conduct electricity with their bodies
0: okay and then Into we follow
1: it. this world through how it's changed and how women start to take over and how we have several point of view characters and i really enjoyed this book it's definitely not my favorite book i've read this year i thought it was a little bit on the nose sometimes when it came to huh. like make, making <laughs> statements about the patriarchy and about power sure.
0: but it's literally called the power
1: yes <laughs> I still really liked it. I It was very cathartic to read sure. a fictional story about women just being like, fuck you, I'm going to electrocute you. <laughs> like, it's it's really good. I definitely enjoyed some of the characters more than others, but it was an exciting read. I enjoyed the fact that she... As you can expect, this isn't really a spoiler, women take over the world, and you get kind of this progression in the story of how it happens. And she doesn't take this, like, rosy, like, suddenly women are in charge, and everything is ponies, and lovely. She kind of, like, explores this idea of what if women suddenly had this power, and how some people use it for good, and some people use it for evil. And it was just really well done, it was very creative. Um, I liked it a lot, I highly recommend it, if you just want to kind of imagine what it would be like if suddenly you could electrocute men. Um, I do want to imagine
0: that I really really do it
1: explores this idea where basically everything is turned upside down suddenly men are having to write books under female pseudonyms and um, like all of these things are just totally the opposite of what you would expect I really really enjoyed it I will say I want to put a content warning for rape Um, it's not super prevalent in the story, but it does exist and it is discussed. Um, so if that's something that you find difficult to read, maybe avoid this book or go into it cautiously, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. It was, I've been reading a lot of like science fiction lately, which this definitely is, but it's different in a lot of ways and it's like nothing I've ever read. So I enjoyed it and I recommend it if you want to read about some badass ladies, which has kind of been my mood
0: lately. There are, I haven't read them, but there are sequels to Native Tongue also. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I really enjoyed Native Tongue. I haven't read the sequels because I feel like I should reread okay. Native Tongue before I do. So, yeah. but I would like to check them out.
1: I liked it a lot. I'm really, I've been in the mood for some feminist literature lately. So it's good.
0: That I scene can't imagine with the why. bees. Oh, man. Yeah. It's so good. You I, should read the book so you know what I'm talking about. The scene with the bees. Yeah, I so love it. Solid recommendations, Samantha. Thanks. Thanks for everyone for listening to our recommendations while we tell you what to do. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, I do have fun
1: doing it. Um, should we plug our shit? Let's see. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Perhaps
0: it's you. You can email us Spooky Stories, your UFO encounters, the time you made out with Robert Stack at Perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Support us on Patreon. Get some bonus shit. Patreon.com slash PerhapsIt'sYou. We'll send you a postcard. You get a bonus episode a month. Yeah. For the moment, you're going to get stickers at any dollar amount, but we're going to have to bump that up soon because that is not sustainable. It is not. But join so. now
1: and you might still be able to get that. If you haven't already, hurry to our Patreon page if the poll is still up and vote for what we're going to watch next month for our bonus episode um if you haven't already joined our facebook group we do yes. a lot of we interact with our fans there it's easier than some of our other social media platforms and you can meet the rest of the
0: five hell yeah And it'll be great yeah that's it thanks everyone bye get out there and solve some mysteries bitches